Well, welcome here this evening to our opening night of our iLeader Conference. My name is Jason Poppy, and I'm one of the associate pastors here at Grace Bible Church. And about seven, eight years ago, um, I had the opportunity to go work in the president's office at Dallas Theological Seminary. And one of my first days on the job, one of the guys I worked with, this guy Robert, he's like, Jason, one of the things that you really need to do to start off and to start off well is you need to go talk to the guy who had this position before you, this guy named Mark Yarbrough. So uh, he's like, I think it'll really help you, and just be a good encouragement to you. So I went in, and I sat, and I talked to Mark, and Mark goes, and he starts explaining everything about the job to me, and what it entails, and what's going to happen, and, and I smiled real big, and I walked out the door, and I was like, oh, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. And that's literally how I felt. But over the years and over the time, uh, Mark became a great resource, uh, a great encouragement uh, to me in my time there, and so it's great honor and privilege for me to have you here this evening, Mark, and free to be here with us, and so I'm excited about that. But now for the official stuff. Dr. Yarbrough, he serves as the Vice President for Communications, as Associate Academic Dean, and Assistant Professor of Bible Exposition at Dallas Theological Seminary. For, for the seminary, Mark oversees activities related to public representation. That includes everything from public relations, the web, information technology, advertising, and academically, he oversees all the extension campuses, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, Atlanta, Tampa, Knoxville, Washington, D.C. He also oversees all the online programs in English and in Chinese. And Mark, what do the rest of those guys do at Dallas Seminary? Yeah, absolutely nothing. I'm calling Riggs tomorrow. He needs to pick something up, so... But Mark's not just a, an academic. He's not just a guy that sits in his office reading and thinking. He certainly does those things. But Mark, for over 20 years, has blended his twin passions for that of theological education and his heart for the local church. Because at Centerpoint Church in Mesquite, he serves as the chairman of the elder board. And he's also part of the pastoral teaching uh, rotational team that they have there. Mark has co-authored and recorded multiple songs and albums and enjoys leading worship. He's traveled extensively, leading tours and participating in international discussions, even with the government of China, talking about the spreading, the movement of Christianity in that, in that country. Mark uh, enjoys writing. He's published several magazines and recently a book, Paul's Utilization of Preformed Traditions in First Timothy. You know, I have no idea what it means, but it just felt really good to say that. I felt smart just reading it. So... Also, this summer, um, Mark was crowned the Greater European Badminton Champion, and that is absolutely not true, but Mark, uh, as we often refer to the seminary, is one of those true renaissance mans, a man of many talents and uh, many loves and many passions, and he does them all well. And probably the greatest thing, the best part about Mark is um, his wife of 20 years, Jennifer, who's here with him this evening. So... If you get a chance, don't waste your time talking to Mark. Go talk to Jennifer afterwards. You'll be much more blessed for it. They have four children. They live in Forney, which is a little east of Dallas, home of the, of the Fighting Jackrabbits, right? Yeah, man, it's a great place. And although they're busy and on the move with energetic kids, they enjoy everything Dallas sports, Cowboys, Mavericks, Rangers. And um, officially this evening, uh, they have become Aggies. So... <laughs> 
Some exciting news also came out this week for you, didn't it, Mark? So we're um, starting the next academic calendar year um, because he had a free afternoon on his schedule. Mark is going to take over as vice president of academic affairs and academic dean at Dallas Theological Seminary. And you can think of no, no better man for the position, and, and we're excited to have you here. So come on up, Mark, and, and we look forward to hearing what you have to say this evening. You know, I hate introductions. Um, my kids always keep it in real perspective. I heard my daughter talking one time with one of her friends, and um, that she said, your dad's a doctor? And she said, yeah, but he's one of those doctors that doesn't help people. So <laughs> that kind of that keeps it all in perspective right there, out of the mouths of babes. I bring you greetings from Dallas Theological Seminary and all of your friends. We like to call Dallas Seminary uh, Grace Bible Church North. We have so many people at from Grace that are on the Dallas campus, and so that's what we call it. And then we have so many people from Dallas that are here that we like to call Grace Bible Church Dallas Seminary South. So we kind of have this wonderful relationship with one another, and uh, that's just a fabulous thing. I am simply thrilled to be with you here tonight and tomorrow. And I would ask that you would pray with me before we open the Word of God. Lord, thank you so very much for an incredible opportunity that we have to be here tonight. It is a gift from you. And Lord, you have blessed us in so many ways. You have given us incredible freedom, given us incredible freedom in Christ to be able to come together and to openly study your word. Father, the purpose of this evening is very strategic. It is a challenge to all of us. Issues of leadership. Lord, as we open your word, your living, active, purposeful word, speak to us anew, afresh. I pray for each one here in this room tonight, Lord, you know what's going on in each individual life, and Lord, you know what we need to hear. Let your word ring true again, so that we can be changed. Help us to realize that the Bible was not written to satisfy our curiosity, but it was written to change our life. May we embrace that even tonight. And we pray this through our only means, our only access to you. And it's through the name of Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. I had an event uh, that changed my life when I was 12 years old, and I'd like to tell you about it. For most of my life, I grew up in the Hershulis Bedford area, which was close to Fort Worth. And I was a pavement dweller. So in other words, I didn't spend a lot of time out in the wide open range. Now I realize that in an audience this size, there are some of you that you may have grown up in the outdoors, and others of you, like me, grew up as a pavement dweller. In other words, you know, your attachment to uh, the great outdoors was television. You know, you watched all of those adventure shows, and that was the distance that you wanted to keep it. But you see, my father was an elementary school principal, and he had a teacher that had a ranch in South Texas. And so, in South Texas, near the very belly button of the state, you may be aware of this, the geographical center of the state of Texas is Brady. And near Brady is a little place called Menard. And this teacher of my father's at his school where he was principal had this ranch. And it was a real South Texas, genuine boot scooting ranch. 
I mean, we're talking 3,000 acres out in the middle of nowhere, and they had Hereford cattle, and they had sheep, and they had Spanish goats. I was 12 years old, and she asked if I would come down for a couple of weeks, and I came down when I was 12, and I fell in love with the place. I mean, I had never been in the great outdoors. They were giving me things that you just don't give a 12-year-old. I mean, I had a a pickup truck to drive. I mean, and this thing was a tank. I mean, you could drive over trees, and I mean, the windshield was smashed up. It was a ranch truck. And so I was learning how to drive this truck, and I was 12. I was driving the tractor. They gave me they gave me a gun. You like that? I was shooting and killing things and, you know, I was pulling calves and sticking my hands places where it didn't belong. And I mean, it was an amazing thing for a 12-year-old. Okay, now here's what else was going on in the ranch. There were older, more mature cowboys. I mean, these guys... You know, when you're 12, you're looking and admiring all sorts of things. These guys had all sorts of, you know, facial hair, and they were dipping stuff, and it was coming out. And I thought, these guys, they were it. I mean, they were telling stories and things that my little innocent paved-dwelling ears had never heard. And I thought, man, I, I want to be like them. They never let me kind of hang out with them. They were like, you know, you're not going to let the little 12-year-old hang out with us and One day it happened. I mean, these guys were old. They were mature. They were 18 years old. And I mean, they had lived life and they invited me, Mark Yarbrough, to come and to kind of hang out with them. And so it was an all-important day on the ranch and they needed to drench cattle. Now that means you're going to pull them all up and get them in the pen and you're going to give them their medicine. And they needed me for a very strategic job. They said, Mark, we want you to be chalk boy. Now, what chalk boy is, is that that's the individual that gets in the cattle pen with them, and when the cattle are given their medicine, you put a big swipe of chalk down their back so that you know they've been drenched. They have their medicine, okay? That was my job. They said, Mark, we're going to pick you up at 6 o'clock in the morning. The cows are already randled up, and we have one particular thing for you to do. That's to be chalk boy. And they said, but there's a couple things that you need to know. Wear your steel-toed boots, and whatever happens, do not get stuck in the corner. I was like, yeah, whatever. They come the next morning, man, I got up, I got up and I started getting dressed, work with me on this, because you got to see this. I mean, I was wanting to impress these guys so much. And so there I was, and, and, and I started getting dressed, and I put on my overalls without a t-shirt. <laughs> I can remember standing there, kind of looking at the mirror, and you know, flexing a little bit, put my cowboy hat on, right? You like this? Put my boots on. I put my steel-toed boots on. Now, there's a problem with these steel-toed boots. You ever wore steel-toed boots? I mean, they are like lead moon boots. You know, I mean, you can't do anything in them. I put these things on, and I thought, I am not going to be able to show them my stuff. I mean, i got to be able to get in the pen and move. And so I thought, I'm not going to need those. So I put on these other boots. And they came by, and they honked the horn. I got out, and I dropped in the truck. We went there, and folks, all day long, you should have seen me. It was a work of art. I was on the move. And I mean, they would give those cows a medicine. I would put that strap right down their back. I'd kind of look at them, flex a little bit, you know. And, you know, I'd do it again. And, and it was great till the very last batch of cows that we had. And to this day, I still don't know exactly what happened. There was a shifting in the herd. Okay, it's the only way I can say it. And I mean, I could see what happened. There was this big giant move. And all of a sudden, they started backing up. And I needed to get out of there quick. And guess what happened? Okay, you have to work with me. Here I am. And I tried to move. And I realized I had this big giant cow standing on my right foot. 
And I mean, I grabbed the tail of that cow and did the cow twist. I'm hitting, punching, moving. I cannot get her to move. I am feeling, listen, I am feeling things crunch in my boot. It ended up being, I ended up breaking six toes out of this deal, okay? I had a cow, seriously, seriously, I had a cow standing right here, and I tried to move, and I looked, and all of a sudden, my right shoulder got wedged underneath a cattle pen that was to my back. I tried to grab the other foot and move it, and about the time that happened, another hoof goes on this foot. I'm hearing things crunch here. I am about right like this high. I am completely wedged in the corner. There is nowhere to go. Now, you got to see this. This was the worst moment of my life. There was a cow, okay? Now, listen, I'm not a big guy now. I was certainly not a big guy then. Twelve. Here I am. I am right here. And this cow starts backing up. I mean, beep, 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 beep. And I am literally, my face is wedged up against this metal rod, and the back end of a cow is literally touching my face. And then it happened. (laughs) Folks, listen close. That cow unloaded... Now, listen, I am serious. We're talking gallons. Gallons. And you got to trust me, it had been green grass day on the ranch. It was literally shooting, pouring all in my face. It was literally, watch this, it was going down my overalls without a shirt, coming out the bottom of my pants. I got sick. I started throwing up. I passed out. Okay. About three minutes later, I came to. I can remember staring, looking my eyes, open up. I see blue sky. And then huddled over me were seven 18-year-old cowboys. And they said, we told you, don't get stuck in the corner. It was a very bad day. (laughs) Now I ask you the question, have you ever been there? Okay, not like that. Have you ever been there when you've kind of come to and you're just covered in the muck of the world? Maybe by your own stupidity, by your own poor decisions, maybe by not your decisions at all, but you still kind of come to and you're just covered in it. In the Old Testament, Israel, the people of God, frequently found themselves just kind of stuck in the corner, just covered in it. Sometimes they would come to, sometimes they would not. I want us to look at a very intriguing passage. And I want us to walk through this together because specifically what we're going to see here tonight as we look at this text is that Israel frequently forgot two basic things. 
And we're going to see that in the book of 1 Samuel, which to me is a fabulous book, if you want a wonderful read, go back and read the book of 1 Samuel. Folks, you get some good blood and guts and gore. This is one of my all-time favorite photos. Isn't this awesome? My boys love this. See, in 1 Samuel is where you get a fabulous story, even David and Goliath. I love this picture. It's like David holding up Goliath's head. Isn't that good? My kids love this. It's good stuff. But 1 Samuel is full of all of these lessons about great tragedy in the life of Israel. And I want us to see that Israel frequently forgot two things. And this is a fabulous thing for us to wrestle with for the purpose of this conference this weekend. Israel frequently forgot two basic facts about God. They forgot who God is. And they forgot what God desires from those who are His. In our text this evening, we're going to look at a couple of things that we're going to see that how Israel failed in these areas. And then we're going to find out tonight that there are some basic reminders for you and me about these failures on Israel's part and to make sure that you and I don't do the same thing. If you have your Bibles, and I hope and trust that you do, you can take a look, if you will, at 1 Samuel chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend some time. 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. And we're going to look for these failures of Israel, and we're going to look for some basic reminders for you and me. 1 Samuel chapter 4. I'm going to start reading verses 1 through 3. It reads, Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Apek. And the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Well, why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. This is a fascinating little passage. You're going to find out that this is one of the the war scenes that we have in this book of 1 Samuel. And this is an amazing thing because 1 Samuel 4, 1 through 11 is, is in a part that's called the ark narratives. Now, I realize that when I start talking about the Ark and the Ark of the Covenant, some of us in this room are starting to think about Indiana Jones, and you say, oh, I know where the Ark is. You know, it's locked away in Washington, D.C. in a warehouse. Okay, this is the real Ark of the Covenant that is being talked about in the text here, and this is a fascinating portion of Scripture, and the reason it is is because we see some things here in frequency. The Ark of the Covenant in First and Second Samuel alone is referenced 61 times. Now, I really don't care about the specific number as much as we see. This is a frequent occurrence in this portion of the Bible. That's what I want us to see. Right here in this little text that we're dealing with, from 1 Samuel chapter 4 through chapter 7 verse 2, we find out that most of those references occur. The author is trying to get our attention at this point in the text. Because we're going to find a moment of tragedy in Israel's life that relates to the ark. Because they do something very improper with the ark of God, which in and of itself was a representation of God. 
they did something horrific with it. And we see that right here in the text. Now, another thing that we need to see before we get too far into the details of the text are that there is a war that is going on. Do you see that? What did it say? It says, now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. If this was a melodrama, okay, and it's okay for us to talk about it like this, Israel's who? Talk to me. They are the who? They're the heroes. Anytime we would see Israel, we would say, yay! Now, when we see the Philistines, which is the arch enemy of God, we would say, boo, there you go. Well done. The author wants us to see, hey, we've got the people of God, and, and they're supposed to win this battle, right? Check your head, yes, because they are, okay? They're supposed to win this battle. Every time in the Old Testament that Israel is in good covenant relationship with God, everything's great. They're doing a wonderful thing. And so we are anticipating that we are going to see Israel against the Philistines, and this battle is going to take place, and Israel's going to win. But notice what the text says. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. Uh, This is the ultimate enemy of God, the Philistines. And by the way, the greatest Philistine that we know about that I referenced already, 1 Samuel chapter 17, is who? Goliath. We understand that. So this is of that line that Goliath came from. This is the enemy of God. And they go out, and we are anticipating that Israel's going to have battle with them, and they're going to crack open a can of whoop. And they crack open their can of whoop. And the text says, again, look close, the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. This is an amazing thing because we begin to get a little picture of Old Testament warfare as well. We find out that here in the Old Testament, there are battles that take place, and what was happening here was a picture of a border war. There was a fight over territorial jurisdiction. That's what is taking place in the text. There are frequent powers that are encamped always upon two hills. So I want you to picture this battle that takes place, that the Philistines defeat Israel. They were standing there having a stare off. The battle always takes place in the valley. Why is that? Because as long as your eye is on the enemy, everything's okay. It's when you can't see your enemy that you must worry. And so here we have this battle take place in the valley, and the text wants us to see very clearly that Israel lost 4,000 of them on the battlefield. I want you to see what happens next. Verse 3 says, When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today? That's the very specific question. Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? It was a great question. They're the people of God. They're not supposed to have any problems. It's a great question. It's a very, very poor answer. Look at what the text says. They say, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. I'm reading from the NIV, and I think it's done a wonderful job with this translation. Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh, listen close, so that, what? 
it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. My friends, let me tell you what's going on in this text. Israel had a problem. They lost the battle. Now they're in trouble. And without ever speaking to God, ever getting down on their knees, from their perspective, here's what they did with the Ark of the Covenant. Listen close. They viewed God as a big gold box. A big gold box. Israel forgot basic fact number one. Basic fact number one. God is bigger than anything that represents His presence. God is bigger than anything that represents His presence. My friends, when we confine God to a thing, we forget who He is. There is a reminder for you and me. My friends, may I phrase it this way? Don't trust in the things that symbolize God. Trust God. My friends, you are here for a reason tonight. And you are here because you are involved in some form of of leadership. You're being challenged to be a leader of integrity, initiative, influence. You have been asked all of these things and your greatest temptation in the midst of displaying the leadership that God has given you and called you to is that you will forget who God really is. My friends, it's an amazing thing what happens to you. I mean, let me put some wheels on this. We do the exact same thing that Israel does, and don't tell me you haven't done this. We start having problems in our life, and then all of a sudden we start saying, okay, I'm going to do some other things because I'm having problems. Now, it's not bad to do some of these things, but we, we Christians can be real creative at this. Well, I must not be doing enough good enough things. So I'm going to start doing really good things. Well, what kind of things, you may ask? Well, it's things like uh, reading my Bible. Now, does God want us to read our Bible? Shake your head, yes, because He does, okay? But you know what? If I'm doing this to try to impress the Almighty, I mean, we play that game. Don't tell me you haven't done it. Oh, I must, I'm going to spend some time in the Word. I'm going to knock out some books. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and read Jude. You know, that's a, that's a real big one there. And then I'm going to stick with Second John. I can knock that one out. God, you watching? Make sure you kind of get this down. I've read some books, a lot of them, and you know, That doesn't impress God. Does God want us to spend time in His Word? Please hear me. Yes. But if I am doing things as opposed to dealing with the Creator, I've messed the boat. And I'm telling you, when you're called to leadership, your greatest temptation is to do a bunch of things. And in the midst of that, you fail to realize really who God is and what He wants from you. And we can do a whole bunch of other things. We can sign up for, you know, serving at church. And I might even do double duty in the nursery. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really serve. God, are you watching all this? Holy, holy. Sometimes God wants you to take a step back and just realize who he is. Israel failed miserably in that. And my friends, don't trust in the things that symbolize God. Trust God. I love the way and the phrase that Kenneth Chafin said. He said, we eventually all learn that Israel discovered in battle against the Philistines, having the paraphernalia of God and having God are not the same. And you can have the t-shirt, but God wants you to realize who he is. 
Let's continue on in the text. Verses 4 and following. Look at this in verses 4 through 9. It says, So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between cherubim and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Uh, Let me paraphrase this. Mark Yarbrough paraphrased rendition. They had a pep rally. Hearing the uproar, think of this. Here they are on one hill having their pep rally. We got God in a big gold box. Take that. They're just shaking it up. And the Philistines are over there going, look at what the text says. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us! Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Folks, do you see something strange in this text? Here's Israel, the people of God. They go get God in a big gold box because of their problems. And they're saying, we've got God in a big gold box. Who's the one that is actually professing the name of God, who He is, what He's done? Who is it? It's not Israel. It's the pagan Philistines. Oh, how God wished that His people were professing His name and recounting what He had done for them. Oh, how He was wanting them to not miss another basic fact. I want you to realize on Israel's part, there is no repentance, no crying out to God. There is no confession of the people recounting how God had delivered them. There is no broken and contrite spirit. My friends, I want you to see this. Israel forgot basic fact number two. God wants a life change that stems from a heart change. You want to be a good leader? It starts with a broken and contrite heart. May I phrase it this way? It's a basic reminder for you and me. Present God a broken and a humble heart. A broken and a humble heart. I love the way that Micah chapter 6 phrases it. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. My friends, if you want to be a real leader of influence, you need to remember who God is and what it is that He desires from those who are His. He wants us to realize that God is bigger than even the good things that represent His presence. My friends, do not lose that. In our culture today, we need men and women of God who lead and lead successfully by an understanding of the grandeur of God. You know why? Because this is not our home. And our culture beckons us to build a kingdom on earth And don't ever forget, you're just passing through. We are called to realize how big God is. 
and to realize that the closer we realize who he really is and how he has revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ, that when we do and get closer to him, we realize that we are broken leaders. And that's exactly what makes us good leaders. My friends, I had an aunt that died three weeks before she was 100 years old. Amazing. An amazing woman. She like had the entire Bible memorized. Now, you think I'm joking. She had the whole book of Romans memorized, for sure. The entire book. I mean, she had gone from a horse and buggy to a cell phone. <laughs> She'd always hold that little thing like this and say, do you know what this does? Said, it was really cute. She was the most godly woman I think I've ever known. Ruth Max, I wish you could have known her. I can't wait to see her again. She was uh, in and out of a proper frame of mind up to the very end. And I mean, right there at the end, it was a great day and she was with it. And I can remember sitting down with her and I said, Aunt Ruth, you know, you've lived for a hundred years. And you're right here at the end. What can you tell me now? Remember, this is the most godly woman I think I've ever known. And she said, I can tell you this. The closer I am to my Lord Jesus, the more I realize I'm a sinner. And it reminds me how much I need Him. That's the mark of a good leader. This is an anticlimactic ending to this story, and I want you to see this. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. It's a Hebrew idiom for that puppy put the tail between the legs and took off running. It says the slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. See, friends, this text is meant to teach. This anticlimactic conclusion is left to haunt us. It's meant to remind us to trust in God, not in the things of God, and you will be tempted to do that in your roles. And it is meant to remind us to present Him a broken and a humble heart. You want to be a good leader? Remember who He is. And remember what he wants from you. See, folks, we need to hear this over and over and over again. I was reading a story the other day. Please don't ask me why I was reading it. But I was reading a story about the the memory recall of goldfish. I told you, don't ask me. You don't want to know why I was reading this, okay? And so I was reading the story about goldfish, and I was fascinated with it because goldfish, I, I had no idea. Did you realize that goldfish have a memory that ranges, you'll look at this, from about 13 seconds up to a minute and 20. And outside of that minute and 20, it's gone. They don't remember anything else. Now, I, I was a little curious because I wanted to know how they actually knew this. You know, did they do a survey, you know, or something like that? But they had a way of scientifically proving the memory retention time frame of a goldfish. Now, as I was reading this, I had a little bit of comfort Because, you know, I've always felt sorry for the goldfish. You know, there they are in this little bitty tank. And so now I realize that they turn the corner and they go, hey, I've never been here before. That's kind of good, isn't it? I mean, so I'm feeling a little bit better for the goldfish. 
<laughs> Here's the deal. We're an awful lot like goldfish. Sometimes we need to see and hear the same things over and over and over and over again. See, it's not the details of the Bible that I have problems with. It's the basic facts. And this text is challenging you and me to remember who God is and what he wants. Who is he? Oh, he's bigger than absolutely everything that represents his presence. He is the creator of the universe who is opened up the blessings of heaven through his son, Jesus. See him in that light. What does he want from you and me? A broken and humble heart. My friends, if you are here tonight and you're kind of covered in the muck of the world, stand anew. See him for who he is. Give him your sinful heart. That's when he can use you. Let's pray. Lord, we have found ourselves so many times just covered in this world, the stuff of it. Sometimes from our own stupid mistakes and sometimes from things that, circumstances that just come upon us. Lord, when we come to help us to look to you, to not just attempt to do a bunch of good things, things that you want us to do, but to assume that that is you. You are so much bigger than that. Lord, that's what we've been singing about tonight. Our God is greater. He's bigger. He's more majestic. All other gods, the gods of this earth. Father, at the same time, the closer we get to you, we realize that we are broken people. Help us to realize that if we want to be people of integrity, it means we must confess our sins. Come to you, a God who is holy and righteous and pure and that rejoices in forgiveness. Help us to be transparent to those to whom we lead so that our influence can be great. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.